So one of the things that, that you and I had talked about a f- feels like a few months ago now was this whole concept of brand measurement and being able to okay. really understand how to measure the ROI of brand investments for for leaders, I guess, founders, organizations. Can you tell me a little bit about the work that you've done in that space? And I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. I know that that uh, at Insight you have a framework, so we'll we'll get to that. But maybe just to to start us off, tell me a bit about why that's why that's a critical step for organizations. Sure. No, absolutely. I would say that the question around how do I measure the impact of my investments in brand is probably one of the most popular questions I get. And it's not just from CMOs, it's from CEOs and CROs and CPOs and everyone else in the organization. Um, Brand is firstly a uh, pretty misunderstood concept in the general SaaS world, especially in the B2B SaaS world. People associate brand with Uh, pretty colors and pictures and logos and typefaces. And while that is an unbelievably important part of brand and the visual elements of brand are critical, um, it is truly just one slice of brand. So brand is, is the promise that you make to your customer. It is your messaging and positioning strategy. It is the category that you play in. It is how you describe why you're different, not just better than your competition, and it, it it truly is every single experiential touch point along the buyer's journey that a customer or a prospect or really any stakeholder in the market has with your company. Um, so measuring the impact of that and how well that is doing and how it is um, driving revenue and uh, driving revenue health is unbelievably important. So, I mean, we got asked this question so many times and the answer um, was always, well, you can go out and uh, buy a piece of software, which is an excellent solution. Um, We actually have a portfolio company called Blue Ocean that does amazing work in terms of brand intelligence and impact. Um, Or you hire an agency. It's a one-time thing. You do a large quantitative and qualitative survey. Um, and you bring in insights that way. What is more powerful is marrying the quantitative kind of always-on measurement plus an always-on continuous qualitative feedback loop. So what we did at Insight is built out a proprietary brand impact scoring model, which looks across five key criteria. So concepts that you'd be familiar with, right? So awareness, Um, looking at things like global search rank, branded search, power of voice. So not just share of voice, but also how powerful, how is your voice resonating in the market compared to your competition? So we're looking at things like net sentiment, um, media mentions, um, mentions from credible sources in the news versus just mentions on some random blog post or in some random community. Uh, engagement. So how is the market engaging with your brand? Um, Perception, which is hugely critical. So looking at not just the the big analysts, but also peer reviews, 
We're finding more and more that buyers today care more about what their peers think versus what a third party, say, Gartner or Forrester might think. So both are hugely important. Um, And then employee, which is the last lever, and I would say probably the most underrepresented, but hugely important, um, especially in today's market, understanding how well aligned not just your current employee bases, but also your prospective talent in the market is around your brand. Is that brand resonating? So looking at things like Glassdoor uh, and headcount growth over time. That last one, I mean, it's all very interesting. That last one is is especially interesting given the fact that you know, we've the B two B tech space has is going through a bit of a transformation, and there's a lot of um, been a lot of layoffs over the years, as we all know. And I think Glassdoor is the the catch basin for a lot of uh, disgruntled people who have left an organization and want to air their grievances in some sort of a public format. But I, I would imagine that that kind of brand uh, feedback would really negatively impact an organization. So I, I totally love the fact that you you have that in your framework, uh, because I do also believe it's super underrated. And people have to be really super careful about how they treat employees, how they make them feel, whether they're their current or, or departed employees. So I, I, I love that as well. Absolutely. And and just like any um, any kind of voice of the customer, uh, voice of the employee programs are really, really important. Having a consistent pulse on how your employee base um, is feeling about working at your company, how connected they feel to your brand, how connected they feel to your customers um, is, is very, very important. And when we hit things like market downturns, it becomes even more important to measure that consistently uh, and ensure you're evolving with the market and with the needs of your employees. You know, given all of the work that you do at Insight Partners, working with different portfolio companies, how do you, how would you gauge the maturity of, of most organizations that you work with as it relates to brand measurement? Do you think they have a good handle on it overall? Or do you feel most people, it's a deficiency for them? It's a great that's not, question. That's not a trick question it, either. That's not a trick question. Yeah. No, I mean, so firstly, Insight's portfolio is is vast and diverse, right? So we have early stage companies, um, we have a, a large pool of amazing scale-up companies in that 10 to $100 million ARR range that are really focused on hyper, hyper growth. And we have later stage companies that are, you know, prepping for IPO or exit. Um, so, you know, I do think it depends on where they are in that revenue curve and in that growth journey. My recommendation and uh, my team's recommendation is always that you start working on your brand generally in the form of firstly, understanding your customers, understanding your buyers. That is always step one in any sort of brand transformation exercise. Um, And then leveraging those insights in order to inform your messaging and positioning. We recommend starting on that process 
as early as possible. So once you have product market fit, once you feel that your general value and benefit to your buyer base isn't going to change drastically, of course, it's going to evolve over time with the market, with the competition, but won't change drastically for at least six to 12 months. And you have the resources or the budget in order to be able to put some of these core brand elements in place, get started on it. So that's that's generally very, very early in a founder's journey. Um, we recommend leveraging our model, um, which is you know an outside-in quantitative-based model. Uh, we also recommend attaching any sort of brand activation exercise to how is it impacting, firstly, your, your audience growth, your followership, your community. Um, how is that then translating to conversion in your funnel? And then lastly, but of course, most importantly, how is that impacting your bottom line? So how is it generating pipeline and how is it driving bookings for your business? And then when you when you, you had referred to kind of different stages of maturity and, and kind of where to start uh, to to get going on a program like this. But when you look at a, you know, a growth stage company, early growth and then more of a late stage organization, what are the the big differences there? You know, when you think about a late stage company being so well established, you know, they maybe they're in a magic quadrant in a forester wave at that point because the market is has been established versus other companies who maybe are first to market, maybe they're blazing a new a new path. Very different, you know, needs around right. brand. Um, so how do you how do you think about those stages? Yeah. Um I mean, so I would say generally very early on, you want to be focused on ensuring that you understand your customer, right? So what are their pain points? What are their motivations? Putting in place regular voice of the customer research. Um, it doesn't have to be anything fancy or overly expensive to start with. Um, pick, I always like the number 12, if you can, <laughs> Uh Pick 12 customers, um, ensure that there is a diversification across verticals. If if you're selling to multiple verticals, use cases, um, look across your entire buying committee. So uh, not just your primary decision maker, but who are the influencers, who are the champions in your buying process. Um, talk to everyone and uh, understand, firstly, how they feel about your product, how they feel about the benefits it provides. Um, you know, if you're doing more of a brand perception study, understand uh, what they feel when they think about your brand. Um, if they're, you know, recommending your brand to peers, um, you know, the types of emotions that arise when they see your logo, all of these things are, are hugely important. Um, you can start small and scrappy, but those insights are going to be the core building blocks to inform what I like to call buyer foundations. And without insights plus buyer foundations, a brand strategy is is not going to stand the test of time. Um, your buyer foundations are your ideal customer profile. So who are your dream customers? Who are those customers that are going to drive uh, 
lifetime value for you, loyalty for you, advocacy for you in the market, um, your core personas, which we just talked about. What do each of your core buyers care about? What frustrates them? How does your product or service uh, benefit them? And um, and then the buyer's journey. So when you think about when a buyer first is triggered to search for uh, a product that solves a specific pain, how do you show up? How are you educating that specific buyer at every stage along the journey from initial awareness through purchase and then even into expansion, upsell, cross-sell, additional growth opportunities? At the end of the day, your customer is your greatest acquisition tool. So thinking about that revenue journey as a continuous feedback loop is going to be critical. And the earlier you do that, the better. So starting there very early and building that into just your core messaging and positioning. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. And ensuring that sales and the entire go-to-market team is consistent in terms of what that message and what that position is. Could I pause on, before you move on, um, just to touch on a couple of points you made here, uh, please? <laughs> one of Absolutely. Um, yeah. One of, it's, first of all, I, I smiled when you, uh, I think you said customer, your customer is your greatest acquisition tool. Is that, was the last word? Tool? I did. Yeah. I did. Because yes. I, you know, like I wish more companies really understood that you see so many organizations investing so heavily in lead gen, um, account executive teams, SDRs to go out and find and bring on new clients, but they don't spend half the, that time nurturing their existing customer relationships and making them feel heard and special. And then you, you get into these tough economic times and then in churn happens and there's no connection between right. that customer and you because you haven't taken the time to to forge that that connection and you haven't found the time uh, or invested the time to really identify how to be a trust-based value-added partner to um to that customer and i see it all the time and i like sweat every time it happens because i totally believe a hundred million percent that if people spent less time on new business activity and more time on customer um, value realization then all of their customers will be their sales team, right? They'll go and tell friends, they'll go from one company to the next. I need I need this vendor, you know, if I'm gonna come aboard your your organization. So I love that you um, that you said that. I, I'm just curious, and you, you may or may not have a, a super uh, answer for this question, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna test you on it. <laughs> the, the, I'm up for the test. The, the, why 12? What, what is the significance of 12? It, you know, I've just seen at least 12 work and there is no true significance, but I think anything less than 10 is probably too few um, because chances are you're probably not talking to a large enough space across different influencers, yeah. different decision makers within the buying process. Again, different verticals, um, different use cases, uh, different products that they're using, different geos is hugely important. So I think anything less than 10 is probably not enough. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you need to talk to 
50 plus people necessarily. And the, the kind of the reason that I asked that, that question is a little bit self-serving, but we, um, when we go to market with our win-loss programs and people ask how many interviews should we complete voice of customer win-loss uh, churn related, we, we always say 10 to 15. There you go. Uh, by segment, right? By segment. And right. by segment, right. we're looking at, you know, is the, are the customers all enterprise or all in North America or all buying exactly. this product? And if you get 10 to 15, we, we have found that at that point, you kind of get to this point of diminishing returns because after that, you're just hearing more of the same. And right. you could interview 50 people, but you can get, you can get there with 12, right? 10 to 15, 12 would fall right in the middle of that. So um, we're, we're well aligned with that number, uh, which is which is why I had asked that question. We have seen the same thing. You, you get enough with, with around that, that number, so. Yeah. And of course, as you scale and grow and you have different routes to market and you're operating at, you know, different segments, lots of different geos, it probably will be more important to um, extend that interview base, right? But I think when you're just getting started, chances are your routes to market are um, a smaller number and you probably can get by with around that 10 to <laughs> yeah. 15, 12 magic number. 12 the magic range. number. I like that. Yep. Um, so the, the other thing was around, well, first of all, like this sounds like a lot of work and we're, we're just talking about that initial kind of early stage company at this point, right? Like these are the things that they can do to go out there and start to understand their brand and impact and measure it. And, you know, a persona project alone is a lot of work. Um, determining your ideal customer profile. I've seen a lot of companies who are at that early stage, maybe even um, past that stage, maybe they're more at kind of a, a growth stage, who still don't really know that stuff. And they've just built something, they're running 100 miles an hour, and they're just picking up whatever they can along the way. Uh, and I, I look at that as, as a path to nowhere in, in a lot of cases, because if they don't really understand their customers, things will eventually screech to a halt and they're going to run into a big problem. Um, what are, with that, with that in, in mind, like what resources does an organization need to be able to do all of this effectively? Is it one at, at the growth at that early stage? Is it like one marketer? Is it more of a team-based approach? I know you mentioned agency relationships uh, earlier on in this conversation. Should they outsource this? What about Blue Ocean? What can they help? So what is what does that look like? At the earliest stage, you know, I think that this is a team effort between the founder and if there is a marketer on board, the marketer, um, potentially plus a contractor or an agency partner just to get those initial insights in the door. As you start to scale, add more spend, add more resources and headcount to your marketing team, generally speaking, product marketing uh, will take this over. And, you know, of course, this is an organization-wide effort, but in the early stages, product marketing will most likely own this as a portion of their overall remit. Um, and then as you continue to scale, you know, full scale voice of the customer programs are 
often staffed with dedicated headcount. Um, and, you know, these become quite robust at more mature companies. But in general, start small. There's usually some sort of trigger to kick up customer research. Um, you know, a lot of times we see it in the form of, oh, churn is peaking up or, oh, there's a whole bunch of new, um, you know, cool kids on the block competitive disruptors that are entering our space and we need to understand how to pivot our messaging, how to adopt our positioning so that we appear differentiated next to them. Um, you know, maybe you need some insights into product strategy, uh, any number of reasons, but bottom line is start small, start scrappy. This could be in the form of, you know, structured data plus unstructured data. So maybe you're kicking up an NPS survey. Uh, that you send out biannually, and you're including in that an open field text question, which gives some additional color, right? So if you are a promoter, well, why is it that you're a promoter? If you are a detractor, well, why is it that you're a detractor? And then you probably want to go talk to, I always say, both the promoters and the detractors in order to understand a little bit more. But that's a, you know, that's sort of a go-to pilot way to kick off any sort of voice of the customer programming is start with an NPS, always have an open text field at the end of that, um, and then go a level deeper and have those qualitative interviews awesome. based on their answers. So so like pivoting now to the growth phase, right? Because we just talked about the early stage. We've it, it just all of this would be dragged forward into that that next stage, I would imagine, but just at a at a heightened level. Are there other differences between the growth stage effort and you know what when to start and what might be different about the work that they're doing? Yeah, I mean it. It again, it depends. I think on your needs and growth stage is is vast, right? So it depends on your needs and your resources. Um, I think NPS and having that sort of open text color is a, a very kind of um, nice continuous way to get those insights in the door. There are a number of other ways to pull in both structured and unstructured data. So on the structured data side, there's, um, you know, you can do customer satisfaction scores. You can look at a regular customer health scoring model um, on the unstructured side. Of course, you know, win-loss interviews and um, win-loss surveys are are a wonderful um, way to pull in those insights. Uh, focus groups with users and, um, you know, and all sorts of customers are great. Um, you know, hiring a, an agency that specializes in qualitative research to go out and do massive uh, surveys and Larger focus groups is another way to do it. There's any number of ways, um, even just getting scrappy and and looking at all of your different social channels and doing a social listening study. So looking not just at your you know your uh, your LinkedIn feeds and your communities that you're active in, but also scanning um, all the peer review sites out there, understanding what customers are saying by which segment, by which persona, by which vertical. Um, and then, of course, you know, I'm probably speaking more from the marketing mindset, but this is a full company effort. So 
tapping into all of the other functions within the company. Um, sales is an unbelievable tool. They, you know, they often have the customer's ear. They're talking to prospects all day, every day. Um, if you have a tool like Gong, taking those recording transcripts and insights and then translating those into um, some of your core kind of voice of the customer programming. Um, we, I always recommend kicking up a Slack or a Teams channel for all things insights, especially if you're just putting out new messaging and positioning, getting those real-time um, pieces of feedback from the field is hugely helpful. This worked here. It didn't work there. This really resonated with this person, not so much here. Here's what we're hearing about this competitor. Just anywhere you can get that continuous feedback loop is going to be helpful and fruitful in terms of driving your strategy. And then how do you go from collecting all of that data from different sources to turning all of that into like actionable insights and change, right? Because... There's a lot of data out there, uh, and it's. I think some people know what to do with it, and some people just create a dashboard, and they don't really know what to do from that point forward to prioritize right. and drive drive change. So, what was what would your recommendation be there? Yeah, I would always start with your objective. So, so what are the KPIs? What are the goals that you're looking to change? And then um, collecting the data that is going to help you change those specific items. Over time, I think you're probably going to get ideas for new objectives and new changes and goals um, based on some of the insights that are coming in the door. But, you know, starting small with one function, even sub-function, maybe it's product marketing, maybe it's focusing on your competitive messaging with a specific competitor. Um, or maybe it's something big like, hey, we have a, a churn problem. And we think it's something to do with our custom, customer support system and really looking into that and driving some qualitative interviews there. Um, whatever it is, start with a goal, start small, collect the insights, and then expand from there. It, VOC at scale will be a full company effort. So there will be product goals, there will be product contributions, there will be marketing goals, marketing contributions, sales, and customer success. All of those should bubble up to business-wide KPIs and should be driving business-wide impact. So so if an organization is looking to build their kind of quarterly objectives or annual objectives, it would it would be incumbent upon the product marketing team, whoever's owning this, to collect data to align with those objectives and and then also have some sort of a connection to leadership to be able to report up to to based on what what, what they're collecting and i think in in an article you wrote on this topic you had also talked about the importance of using this information to get the board bought into making certain changes or investments or um providing some sort of a, a ROI or rationalization to the investments that you've already already made. So do you, do you look at this as something that's really board level insights that should be shared for and the, let me let me just mention one more point. I see a lot of people get especially within larger organizations get stuck where you know you're the product marketer responsible for voice of customer but you're not really sharing the data broadly. It's not getting to the leadership team. 
um, you're kind of alone in this 10,000 person company and you're so far removed from leadership. You, you, sometimes a program will die for that reason, right? Right. So right. tell me about the those two scenarios. Yeah, I, I see that as well. And I think that's why it's so critical to ensure that you have the KPIs in place and those KPIs are bubbling up to business-wide objectives, right? So um, obviously, if if retention is an issue, then digging into retention through voice of the customer insights and through research is going to be one incredibly important mechanism to uncover how you solve that issue, right? And that in every single company on earth should be a board level objective and should be covered and reported on and tracked at the board level. Um, so again, I think where voice of the customers fail is a uh, lack of alignment to business wide objectives and being super clear about here's exactly what we're trying to uncover Here's, you know, the goal we're trying to accomplish it. And here's how we're doing against that goal. If you're just collecting a whole bunch of data and it's sitting there and, oh, that's interesting, but it's not being activated, it's not being used to solve a problem. I think that's where the resource investment for a voice of the customer program may be diluted and, um, and you know, not seen as important. Yeah. And then with the the... Late stage companies, companies who are in an established market, they've been around for a while. What's different about their approach to brand management and measurement? It's generally very important for late stage companies to have some sort of ongoing marrying of qualitative plus quantitative research that is directly measuring the impact their brand is having. So whether they're doing that through a combination of internal resourcing against voice of the customer programming, plus maybe some quantitative surveying. And of course, um, using models like our brand impact score uh, to tie their brand investments to revenue and the bottom line, that's critical. Um, many companies have the resources to invest in a software tool that is always on, like a Blue Ocean, which is going to look at your market, so your core competitors versus um, versus your own brand, and give you real-time insights on the performance of your brand and how some of those you know investments in specific campaigns or maybe you're doubling down in LinkedIn, um, how those things are going and ultimately how you should optimize them. Um, so, you know, I think you just get more sophisticated in terms of the amount of data and the number of insights that are coming in. The bottom line is that quantitative alone and qualitative alone are not suffice. There are limitations to both, right? So you really do, even from that earliest stage, need to marry the quantitative, which is telling you the what, right? It's kind of directing you and guiding you with the qualitative, which is digging that level deeper and telling you the why in giving you that behavioral and that emotional uh, element to, okay, how do I actually improve this? Yeah, the the uh, quant versus qual debate is a, is a good one for sure. And, and 
I I totally agree. You have to have both to be able to get a good holistic view. You can't interview everybody at the end of the day, um, especially at a late stage situation. But on the quant side, you have to really get that survey right. It has to be super clear, concise. Uh, it can't be too long, right? You don't want people to get survey fatigue. You have to collect data from the right people, uh, not the wrong people. So I love the interview side for being able to maybe validate what you've learned in the quant or to just go deeper to get the story behind it. So lo love that comment as well. We're very well aligned, Meg. You, you'd be surprised. Our, our thought process I love is it. just so in sync. Um, and, and Ryan, on the alignment piece, I mean, one of the things that I see any sort of customer insights um, helping drive in companies large and small is alignment. And alignment across the entire company, but especially in starting with the executive leadership team, is so critical in order to drive change and ensure that um, the tactics that you're deploying across the go-to-market, um, the product strategies that you're deploying are reinforcing those ultimate business-wide objectives that everyone agrees on. So it allows you to say, hey, we're not we're not all running in a million directions. Everyone understand and is rallied behind. This is our ideal customer profile. And this is exactly how we're going to achieve our revenue targets for this quarter and for the year. Um, and having that continuous feedback loop and having those insights puts everyone on the same page to do that. Just out of curiosity, because you, you have a unique perspective because you've worked with so many different companies and when you think about objectives, uh, there are the like generic objectives, like we want to close, bring on more clients, we want to have higher retention rates, um, we want to spend less money, you know, that, that kind of capital efficient growth. Do you see a lot of organizations stick to those more generic objectives and then work back from, from them um, on kind of the actions and the solutioning? Or do you, do you see companies with completely unique objectives um yeah what's your view on that i think it depends it depends a lot on your stage of growth so what are your big rocks right earlier on your big rock may be i want to start an expansion program i have this nice base of uh of customers but i i have no defined strategy against upselling or cross-selling them right and so I want to start an expansion program and I want to see traction in that program. Okay, let's measure that traction. What does that look like from a performance standpoint? Um, as you scale, your routes to market, your revenue sources are going to become more solidified. Certainly does not mean that they need to continue to evolve and reinvent with the competition, with the market, with your changing customers. Um, but the the overall objectives are are probably going to kind of stay the same at the board level, which is we're driving a certain number of new logos, we're driving a certain number of expansion, we're looking at profitability and efficiency metrics. Um, and, you know, those will, of course, evolve and change with the market and over time. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's, those stay the same, and then how you actually get there is where you get differentiated and, and evolve. 
I wonder if if uh, AI will creep its way onto people's big rocks for for next year as a as a fourth or fifth primary objective, just as a standalone, like experimenting with AI. And maybe that'll be the the last question of of this this conversation. Given your 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 spot at Insight and work with marketers, how do you see what what are you excited about as as it relates to AI? You know, I'm sure you've seen a lot already. What gets you really yeah. pumped? Yeah, we've we've never seen this pace of change and and disruption truly. And I think, you know, it's interesting. the The biggest thing that companies can remember and kind of hang their hat on right now is is actually not to allow AI to be a huge disruptor for them, but allow it to be a force of continual reinvention. Right, which is one of Insight's core pillars. Um, and in order to do that, it's about starting with a pilot, starting with a use case. Um, I always say, you know, the number one step and the first step in any change process, and this truly is a, a change management process, is uh, that the CEO, the C-suite needs to be aligned that this is a priority for the company. And what we're seeing is um, just because the content generation use case is so well aligned to Gen AI, the CMO is often the first mover yeah. in terms of driving that change for the organization. Um, and we do tend to see uh, content productivity gains as that first use case. And we're seeing unbelievable impact across the board. So I would say... Um, you know, get started as soon as possible, but ensure that it's a priority um, from the top down and put put the right goals, put the right processes in place in order to just continue to test and iterate. Awesome. Thank, well, thanks so much, Meg. This has been uh, amazing. I appreciate all the time that you've spent and I, I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks so much, Ryan. Great conversation. 